Welcome to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast by the Wound Care Learning Network. I'm Kira Fedition, Associate Digital Editor for Wound Care, and we're happy to have you listening today. Just as a reminder, this podcast is intended as an informational tool for medical professionals and is not intended to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Our guest today is Dr. Suzanne Bakewell, Chief Scientific Officer for Omeza, a skin health company based in Sarasota, Florida. She'll be speaking with us today about eliminating bias in clinical trials. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Bakewell. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Would you just take a moment to introduce yourself and tell our listeners a bit about your experience and your current work as it relates to wound care? Absolutely. I'm, I'm new to wound care. My background is in uh, oncology. I did my PhD um, at Washington University uh, as a physiologist, but I focused on cancer biology, which was quite nice in that it brought a balance of me always looking at the big picture, but then understanding the intricacies of uh, cell signaling and cell biology. And my, my research work there started with bone metastasis, cancer cells metastasizing to bone. So I, it involved a lot of work with the microenvironment. I also um, had uh, focus on integrins and um, this seed to soil, uh, which is really important in, in cancer metastasis. The, what I got from there that I brought forward into wound care is that my PI, Dr. Weilbacher, uh, was an oncologist. And so she was working daily with the patients and it really brought home this need to focus on the patients uh, that they were central to the work we were doing and and then also to the trials that were being set up and it was very different from many of the research labs that I had trained in or, or had experience in otherwise so from WashU I went and did my postdoc at the University of Pennsylvania as a Susan G Komen uh, fellow. And I was under the, um, in the lab of Dr. Lewis Chodosh. And it was a very large lab. He was head of uh, the Perelman uh, uh, Department of Cancer Biology. And so there was uh, 25 to 30 members of the lab. And our weekly lab meetings would, um, we were all working on such different parts. And yet it was so important for us all to be able to understand that how, um, how we needed to collaborate and understand the other parts as we were all working on the problems with, um, with breast cancer. And at that time, my work focused on residual disease and recurrence, uh, cancer recurrence. And again, I was working much with the microenvironment from there, I went into industry and I worked in early drug development, uh, again in oncology for drugs, looking at nanotechnology and drug delivery to the tumor, uh, delivering hydrophobic drugs um, yeah, intravenously. So taking all these parts, when I then came to work in wound care, it, I had these pieces that understood the intricacies of wound care, how the um, orchestration of the different stages of healing came together. So it was um, not such a far stretch, although now that I am also involved with running clinical trials, there is a big difference uh, because there are many aspects of wound care that are 
challenging um, when, when we come to uh, put together the protocol and what we need to consider for clinical trials. But um, that's, that's sort of how I got here. Yeah, wonderful. I think you have a really unique experience that you're bringing to this field. So let's jump into our questions here. Um, as you said, designing clinical trials involves understanding a lot of the challenges in wound care and especially in chronic wounds. Can you speak to what some of the main challenges are and how you account for those factors when you're designing a trial? So I think one of the biggest things with that I first recognized in wound care is, is the patient population. It's so heterogeneous. And then they're also bringing their comorbidities. If I compare that to a study, for example, in, in oncology, if we're going to develop a drug and we have, um, say we have, we're going to have a target a specific signaling mechanism in say, uh, resectable pancreatic cancer, we can design that because most of the patients are presenting with the same issues, the same uh, the, the same diagnosis, the same problems, and so it's very targeted. And so, setting up a trial, you you your inclusion exclusion criteria that you you need is not so much. You don't have to worry about it so much because they are going to be uh, pretty much you put them in very much the same bag. Their, their symptoms, um, their condition are going to be very similar. So you don't have to worry too much about um, the differences within your patient population, not to the same extent as I find in wound care. Um, and so this is one of the things that is, is we have to uh, take into consideration um, and also uh, focus on. Uh, when we set up the, the study. And it, it, it's so very important to really consider what the endpoints are that we're asking and how we set up that study. Yeah, absolutely. So how would you go about setting up some clearly defined endpoints and how do you use those endpoints to verify that your trial was ultimately valid? Well, so here's one of the big things with... Um, with wound care, there is, uh, especially if we are looking at developing a drug or a device or a bio biologics or even combination of those, FDA um, very much are looking for the efficacy of the drug. And so that determines uh, limited criteria so that you can truly look at uh, the, the control group versus the treated group and, and come out with, with your endpoints. The challenge is that in the real world, the patients that you have, there is such, as I mentioned, this heterogeneity, but also because of the problems they bring, the comorbidities, the other issues, it is such a challenge then because you're looking at how the effectiveness in the clinic, it can be very different from the criteria that you have to run a trial if you are focusing on efficacy. Because wound care has so many of these problems, so many of these challenges um, that it's hard to pin it down or to narrow it so that you can look at efficacy versus the effectiveness in the clinic. 
Right. Yeah. We spoke about this recently. I had Dr. Wendy Cole on. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but we were speaking. I do know Wendy. Yes. So we were speaking a bit about clinical trial design also, and about, you know, how hard it is to come up with appropriate endpoints because so much of the time, the things you want to measure are really hard to quantify, you know, when we're talking about is the wound healing better? Is there less scar tissue? Those things are very difficult to measure sometimes. So it can be a real challenge, I think, for researchers to come up with the right endpoints that they can use, especially when you're trying to take something to the FDA to show that a treatment does what you want it to do effectively, because you really do have to have those quantifiable results. Absolutely. It's, um, and especially when FDA are demanding many times uh, for approval, they want to have complete wound healing. Um, we have, and, and I'm sure, you know, um, everybody appreciates um, your, the difference between treatment in the clinic, even between the physicians. With, with wound care not being a medical specialty, um, that also adds to this. Um, so to have a consensus amongst all the physicians, the difference in the clinic, uh, the difference in the treatment, um, being able to deal with infection, being able to deal with the inflammation, you know, all of these factors are con confounding and make it really challenging to a clinical trial. Yeah, for sure. So I, I know one of the things you specifically wanted to talk about was eliminating bias in trials. So what sort of steps would you take when designing a trial to eliminate bias to start with, and then also make sure that bias remains out of both the interpretation and presentation of your results? Well, when setting up a randomized clinical trial, um, you have to give thought to the design of the study so that the bias is minimized as much as possible. Uh, for example, if you're running a multi-site trial, then it's important to ensure that the standard of care and treatment is equivalent and consistent across all of your sites. The data uh, needs to be collected by practitioners using the same measuring instruments or the, um, using the same technique, um, or that all the sites are using the same imaging platform or the, the same camera. And this will help standardize the data collection. And another way to eliminate bias is to standardize the wounds themselves. Uh, one way is by having a lead-in period where the wound receives standard of care for one or two weeks before randomization. And then at the end of this lead-in time, the percent area reduction of the wounds is compared to the initial measurement before the drug or device is applied. And this delta provides uh, confidence and certainty that the wound is indeed chronic and that it's not going to heal with standard of care alone. Um, when comparing time to healing or a healing rate, the wounds ideally need to be as equivalent as possible at the start of the trial. So they need to be the same size or they need to fall within a narrow range. Naturally, bigger wounds will normally take longer to heal. So if the trial has an endpoint of wound closure within a time limit, then the wounds need to fall within a range to be able to compare the healing rates within that specified time frame. And understand, you know, clinical trials are expensive. In, in wound care, they usually run 12 to 16 weeks. So sponsors often don't want to risk the bigger wounds not closing within that time frame. And in, importantly, FDA does recommend a patient population in the clinical trials that optimizes the treatment effect. And so 
this translates into choosing a healthier, younger group of patients, and again, most often with these smaller wounds. And if that if the treatment effect is to be optimized, then the smokers, subjects with higher BMIs, and those with confounding comorbidities, they get excluded because those factors are going to directly impact healing. And ironically, by trying to eliminate these biases in the randomized cohorts, we inadvertently include bias in the trial results when it comes to comparing the randomized clinical trials to the real world population that we see in the physician's offices and our wound clinics. So as you also asked, how do we ensure bias stays out of our translation and interpretation of the results? Well, herein lies one of the challenges in wound care clinical research. I, I think the responsibility falls equally on all of us, whether we are the reporter or whether we are the reader or receiver of the information. We have to understand this inherent bias in wound care randomized trials. We have to be discerning and discriminate in the translation of the results, whether we're providing or receiving them. We have to understand that this bias does exist and, and why. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I know we talked a bit already about, you know, determining endpoints in a trial. Could you give us maybe some real world examples of what a clearly defined endpoint would look like? Or in contrast, maybe some types of endpoints you see written in trials that may not be valid or lead to some unintentional bias? Mm. Well, so generally, there are one of two main outcomes for a wound care product in a clinical trial. Uh, the outcome will be improved wound healing or improved wound care. As an example of clearly defined endpoints for, or a clearly defined endpoint for wound healing would be incidents of complete wound closure within a time period or accelerated wound closure. An improved wound care may have a primary endpoint of decrease in pain or a reduction in wound infection. Selecting the right endpoints is important because if they are not met, then in essence, the trial has failed. There have been drugs, and I'm thinking here of my experience with oncology trials, where the endpoint wasn't met, but the drug didn't necessarily fail because there was an, there was an effect in the patient population. For example, the drug abemacyclib, which is a CDK4-6 inhibitor, failed to meet its primary endpoint of overall survival in its phase three uh, non-small cell lung carcinoma trial, but there was an overall progression-free survival improvement. If the trial had been set up with progression-free survival as a primary endpoint, then it would have been a success. Um, where the bias can sometimes lie is then in the reporting of the trial. And one of the known problems in trial reporting is when the primary endpoints are not included and there is spin in the report where only the positive results or the successful secondary endpoints are presented, but the trial's primary endpoints are not even included in the reporting. Now, I want to clarify that this issue, when it occurs, is found in all randomized clinical trial reporting. This is not just prevalent in, in wound care trials. But we have to be educated sufficiently to discern the statistical data too, to understand the value of significance and non-significance and be able to interpret the data independently of perhaps what is being reported. We need to read the entire report carefully. Unfortunately, um, our practitioners do not always 
many of us do not always have this luxury of time to read much more than the abstract of a report. But we have to be careful because the abstract may not even include the objective results of the primary endpoints. So it's not necessarily endpoints in themselves that are biased. The bias lies most often in how the primary and secondary endpoints are reported. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I think you're absolutely right. So to draw on that a little more, do you see some changes happening in the field today with research? Um, do you think researchers, researchers and practitioners are, you know, getting into this idea of eliminating bias and becoming more aware, or is there a lot more work to be done still? Well, this is a difficult question for me to answer because I haven't been in wound care long enough to comment over changes in the field. However, I, I am confident that there are sufficiently skilled, well-trained and discerning practitioners in wound care that can accurately evaluate a quality study over one that uses spin for the interpretation of the results. The question is, do we need more real-world trials where we can evaluate efficacy within our true clinical population? I believe we do. A device may have efficacy in a trial with a select inclusion exclusion criteria, but it has to be effective in the clinic with those patients who are smoking, they're older, immobile, poorly nourished. And I propose that our real world trials focus more on the patients, more on the patients than on the device or the drug that is being tested. I understand it's, this is not always easy to implement, but I believe we should endeavor to increase our patients' participation in the trials. If we have their attention and commitment to going through with the treatment for those 12 or 16 weeks, we should endeavor to engage them more with their own healing. Um, we include patient diaries, uh, include nutritional criteria, perhaps check up on them more often, and, and most certainly and consistently keep that bar high on the standard of care that they receive. It's up to us to be responsible for providing new, it's up, you know, those of us who are providing these new techniques, it's up to us to be responsible um, and to figure out how to help these patients with the challenges they face and the issues that they have that keeps them out of those randomized clinical trials. In that way, uh, hopefully we can close the gap between testing efficacy and real world effectiveness. Otherwise, I, I think we're simply doing a disservice to our patients. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point you brought up. I think probably one of the more difficult choices that researchers are facing when designing a trial is, are we aiming for these specific endpoints that are going to, say, please the FDA and get approval? Or are we creating a trial that's really going to help practitioners see how a treatment's going to work in real life? And so much of the time, I don't think you can easily do both in one study. And there are only so many resources to go around. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to discuss today? Uh, no, I would just like to add that I believe we need to continue to ensure that we do service to this wound care community by producing trials of the highest quality. Um, we need to understand where the bias lies, as you say, and how we translate the data and results to increase efficacy in healing in the clinic. Yeah, thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that wraps up our discussion for today. Uh, for more information on today's topic, we'd invite our listeners to explore all of the resources available online at the Wound Care Learning Network. Thanks again for joining us on Speaking of Wounds and enjoy the rest of your day.